Welcome to another Monday of No One Gets Away With Anything. Today with you we are Jose Rafael Chuaneri and Ariana Lopez. So we're back to usual now. Back to the usual now. <laughs> we're not mixing everything up this time. We're getting used to we're 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 coming back to now now we're coming back to recording. To our it's roots. not totally new. It's Fair not enough. like it's the same day. Now we got used to it. Yeah. Second time it's the charm. It's so I know it's the third. <laughs> So now this episode will not go horribly wrong. Now I'm going to you. Second time is a charm. Okay, uh, Jose, please explain us what we're going to talk about today. Today we're going to talk a little bit about my he- healthiest obsession, I would say. Probably not everyone is de acuerdo conmigo. No, I don't think the word obsession, you can link to healthy. So. Mm, true. Um, see, my biggest idol in terms of intellectual things is... My man, uh, Jordan B. Peterson. And he has a book called Beyond Order that I just finished finished reading. Ariana me ha preguntado varias veces como que I have posters in my room with all of the rules. And she's like, but what does this mean? And I was like, that's a perfect idea for an episode. How long ago was that, Ariana? <laughs> We're not going to reveal the details of our brainstorming. It was 20 seconds ago. Sorry. No, it was a bit ago. But um, Okay, but para, so for you to have some context, I hadn't come to Jose's house like... Since we were furnishing it. Since you were furnishing it. So, like, the last time I came, everything was in boxes and there was barely, like, a couch, Like, I was some building, chairs. I, I was, like, literally Ikea building my bed. Exactly. So, today I came for the first time and I come into Hosea's room and now he has all this pile of books. Most of them are from Jordan Peterson, at least, like... No, I, I have one book. Right you have, like, one or two. Like, the I just feel like all of them... All of them are that style of book where it's, like, uh, like, like that one that you have under Why Nations Fail, which exactly. is... Uh, the Loss of Human Nature by Robert Greene. It's the same kind of book, you know, explaining the psychology of something. Or this one is called Snoop, what people, uh, what this, your stuff says about you. And it's a book about, you know, the psychology of your stuff. I like those books. Exacto. Entonces, yo llego al cuarto Jose and it's beautiful. And like a normal person, we have like a bunch of pictures and maybe some artworks. Y Jose tiene un poster de un panda. It, uh, it has a story. Then you have like a little painting. Yes, a painting that my girlfriend made for me. Exacto. And then he has 12 papers with the 12 rules for life. Is that how they on call it? Yeah, the, no, the 12 more rules for life. And they are all like, they're on my closet, like ordered in a, in a cool way. So I was like, I'm going to test this guy and I'm going to ask one by one what they are. So I just stood in front of his closet like this, rule number one. And he was like, no, 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 no. Rule number two. And he said that all. Oh, and I was like, but what do they even mean? So, you I know. I told him, like, look, like, this would take, like, a 40-minute conversation for me to explain what all those rules mean. And then where better to talk about it than? Where, where do we have 40 minutes of people's undivided attention <laughs> than a podcast? Episode? We hope so, at least. Yes. So, uh, for those of you who don't know, Jordan Peterson is a clinical psychologist. I will tag him in this episode. If you ever do watch this, Jordan, I love you. <laughs> uh, he's a clinical psychologist from Canada. Uh, my dad's a guest today. He's watching us for the first time. And he just said, me too. <laughs> um, you know, the point is, um, Jordan Peterson, he's a clinical psychologist. He's from Canada. And he's been basically, you know, using his experience as a college professor, as a clinical psychologist, and put it into practice. And he became famous, rather, for... A couple of things, his YouTube channel and for some controversy with a compelled speech legislation in Canada. The point being, he can, became very, very, very famous and he has had three books so far. Maps of Meaning, which not, not a lot of people read. It's about the narrative of life. It's very 
está muy lleno de psicología jungiana and it's a very difficult book to read mm -hmm. and then what he says is that he condensed those two books into two more readable books and they are 12 rules for life and antidote to an antidote to chaos which is his first book and this is the second book beyond order 12 more rules for life as you can see my version of it is very banged up because i ariana jokes that my look is jeans shirt book bag and a book in my hand yeah <laughs> the other day um i was waiting for Jose. like we met at a place like the day of the job interview oh yeah yeah uh, and yeah. then i arrived way earlier than he did and we are, he arrives like right on time and stuff and he comes running from the subway he has his backpack and stuff and he has this humongous book in his hand and yeah. i'm like of course Otherwise, it wouldn't be him. It wouldn't be me if I didn't have a book. Like, if I don't have a book on me, it's because I'm watching Jordan Peterson on my phone. Exactly. <laughs> Or because his mind is somewhere else. Yeah, that, that, that can be it, too. If I Because I have a long commute and I try to, to mm -hmm. read. And so, Jordan Peterson touches on a lot of stuff. And the first thing you need to understand is the concept of order and the concept of chaos. Okay. So, every single civilization that, have, that has existed has these drawings where there's a tree. Mm -hmm. And around the tree is a river and near the river are the humans okay and so that's like the canonic civilization you know the sun's in the corner that's a little drawings mm -hmm. like you can see a little kid draw that today mm -hmm. and it would seem totally normal and there's also like the aztecs had that written okay. like and 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 many other cultures mm -hmm. did and so jung and 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 freud take this explanation as something like um that represents the basis of any human realm you know there's light which is the river the tree and the humans which is what we know that's called order mm -hmm. and then there's chaos and chaos is everything that you don't know okay. so jordan peterson in his in his writings and everything and in his especially on his youtube channel he talks a lot about movies like pinocchio mm -hmm. and he tells you how these movies are you know mm -hmm. the representation of these grand narratives between order and chaos okay. the point is the human beings are live somewhere in the middle of it okay we don't know exactly where Like, if you have too much order, you have OCD. Mm -hmm. And if you have too much chaos, you have schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. So we functional human beings live in the middle of that. And that's what these two books are about. We're going to focus on the second one because I don't have the first one on me right now. And, I, and because the ones that are pasted in your room are the second one. Yes, so, I like, read, yeah. I'm going to guess they have a special meaning to you. Yes, they do. Because I, I am a very orderly person. I am in his... There's a, well, this book actually turned me into that, uh, turned me onto that, which is the um, ocean model of, I've told you about this, the ocean model of personality, where it's mm -hmm. openness to experience, conscientiousness, agreeableness, um, extroversion, and neuroticism, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, every single human being has this. It's, a, it's like a statistical way of knowing what your personality looks like okay okay oh but that's very interesting it's pretty interesting and you can do it like jordan, jordan has a a, a a product which mm -hmm. is you know a test that tells you more or less what your personality is like and i'm a pretty conscientious person i agree conscientious being you know um uh, it's overly careful about everything that goes on in your life yes so it's detail oriented and it's also work like willing to work a lot and planning Yeah, so detail-oriented is like planning, strategy, mm -hmm. etc. And then work-related is just how hard you can just sit down and do something. Okay. Okay, and it's the biggest predictor for success in the world. Okay. But people that tend to be very conscientious also happen to be the kind of people that get very anxious in life. 
like you and me. We get into 12,000 <laughs> million things to do at the same time. And we end up by the end of the week, like biting our nails off out of the anxiety. And the thing is, our week ends Sunday, 10 in the, you know, 10 at evening. And then it starts again on Monday, 6 in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a crazy. weekend is basically the night of sleep between Sunday and Monday. Like the bat, the shower you take <laughs> when you're just like too exhausted and you just need to really just chill and you get in the shower and the shower is cold and it gets hot because you're just uh -huh. so anxious <laughs> um so yeah bueno, please enlighten us so what i want you to do is flip through it and tell me the the rules like read to me the rules and i explain what it means or okay. what, what i remember at least i'm gonna do my best to find them super fast though okay rule number one do not carelessly denigrate social institutions or creative achievement Okay, so uh, this one basically goes, it's the fool, right? Yeah, the picture. Yeah, the fool. Okay, so each chapter has accompanied with an image. Okay, there was a really good illustrator. I don't remember the name. Yeah, that, <laughs> um, that you know, tried to, to illustrate what his chapters were. And so the fool is the spirit of the person who does not mind being an amateur. So, for example, my dad's a plastic surgeon. And one of the things that happens when you're a plastic surgeon is that you spend your entire life studying. You can't stop studying because medicine keeps growing. And if you stop growing with medicine, you stay behind. So doctors, especially doctors that do the cutting edge medicine, tend to be the ones who are more prone to allowing themselves to be amateurs. Si tú no sabes jugar el fútbol y pretendes que vas a meter un golazo el primera vez que tocas la pelota, you're going to have a really bad time. Mm -hmm. It's more about understanding that there's a framework and a set of things that you need to do before you can learn to do something, okay? So what he talks about, about denigrating social institutions is that we are playing a game okay. in a way. As in life. Exactly. So life is a game. And if you don't allow yourself to be stupid and ask the stupid questions like, oh, Should I, if you come live in Spain, porque a todos nos ha pasado, ¿dónde voto la basura? Porque mm -hmm. no sé dónde va esta basura. Si no lo haces, capaz te llega una multa a tu casa. We're playing a okay. sort of game. Okay, okay, okay. I see what you mean. And then what he's saying is do not carelessly denigrate creative achievement, porque muchas veces nos pasa que vemos un podcast o vemos como Miley Cyrus canta Jolene y decimos, claro que no, eso no es ella, that's like auto-tune or something. Y es como que you are denigrating the creative achievement of someone. And that creative achievement is essential for mm -hmm. society. E-social institutions are created by, you know, rigorous work. O sea, tener una institución social como puede ser, you know, botar basura en el right mm -hmm. bin took a lot of work. And if you denigrate it in one day, you can be doing a lot more damage than you mm -hmm. think. So that's rule one. What do you think? I can relate. <laughs> A lot, because I think it has to do with what we talked like last episode. We're, we're people who are used to doing things right, and we love, yeah, we, we love are. succeeding. And, and succeeding is usually linked to the idea that you got something right, and you do, and you're progressing in that thing, right? So at least for me, it's very hard to acknowledge that I did something wrong and to learn from that which I did wrong, and then, you know, improve next time. So I think it's a very basic important understanding of what we should do true uh the other thing is that there's this component of it all which is something like you are a person who likes to do things right mm -hmm. and it's the point of the chapter is something like 
you need to be the fool and you need to understand the institutions that you're in mm-hmm. so you can break the rules later if you it's like what to. we said at some point it's in order to play the game properly not only you have to just play but also it's better if you know how to explain the rules you know yeah that's definitely a part of it mm-hmm. like you need to be able to play enough that you can explain the rules mm-hmm. but also it's some it's about mm-hmm. like your game in a way if you want to put it some in a way like a psychologist could say that you were a person who liked to please her parents exactly and so that's why you were so good in school or like to mm-hmm. please yourself whatever mm-hmm. but the point is una de las razones por las que tú fuiste tan buena en el colegio es porque you liked to be a good mm-hmm. teacher and then when you graduated and you had the choice whether to stay or leave the choice that would have made your parents the happiest would have been if you stayed mm-hmm. yet you knew the rules you knew how the game was played mm-hmm. enough that you said i'm not going to do this i'm going to risk something else that's the fool mm-hmm. it's being the fool until you're not exacto i think immigrants we often speak about you know how our lives and how most of our important experiences are shaped because we left our home because sometimes you just want to catch up you don't want to be seen as the one that's left behind or like the fool you know you don't want to be seen as the immigrant you want to be seen as someone who has all the right to live in a country that's not where you were born and not only that you have to write it's like you earn the right because you understand how it works but in order to understand you first have to not understand yeah but we just want to skip that part exactly well let's go to rule number two now then yeah imagine who you could be And then aim single-mindedly at that. Okay, so, well, there's a really good story from Warren Buffett. Okay. He says, he's giving advice to this, like, young, how do you call that? Um, Like, financial investor. Yeah, to this, yeah, to this financial investor. Y está básicamente hablando con él, le dice como que, okay, escríbeme en una lista las 10 cosas que más quisieras hacer en tu carrera. Tipo, estas son las 10 cosas que, tipo, I want to do. And he's like, you know, he spent a good 30 minutes thinking about it. And he writes one, two, three, four, five. He writes, and the last one, he's like doubting. He's like, well, what would this mm-hmm. be like? What would, mm. He writes the last one. And then this is the interesting part. He finishes writing the last one. Warren Buffett said, I want you to cross out everything after number three. Just focus on those three? Just focus on the first three. Because everything that you didn't put above third place is a waste of time for you. Fair enough. And that's it. I mean, it's it's a simple one, mm-hmm. but it seems simple, but it's not. It's like, okay, if... Read it again, the rule. It says... Imagine who you could be. Okay, exactly. So who do you want to be? Do you want to be a good person or a bad person? You want to be good. Okay, so if you want to be a good... Well, you're kidding. You, okay, let's imagine you want to be a bad person. If you want to be a bad person, how do you do that? What, what you have to think about is, what transformation of me could bring the most wor- bad into the world okay so the opposite is also true if you want to be a good person it's not only being a good person but what version of me would bring the word mm-hmm. the best to the world also like the other day i was seeing i, I watched a podcast where they interviewed kendall jenner it was uh uh-huh. and she was explaining like for those of you who don't know she's very famous like um international model like supermodel And I she, think everybody knows. Who well, but just in case, you know, for a bit of context, <laughs> right? You're, you're so nice. <laughs> Other for the people that don't know who she is. 
I think she be- she began working. <laughs> My dad. Exactly. You see, <laughs> I am being considerate, empathic, understanding. <laughs> <laughs> My dad, like, I don't know who that girl is. <laughs> okay, so she became a model. I think when she's um she was nineteen, and she's she's sister of the Kardashians, right? So she already came from a very overstimulating, famous environment, but she built her own way to be a supermodel, and she was she was genuinely very famous. But she was telling the story of how, like, she was so grateful for everything that she had achieved and she was worked on that it was very hard for her to say no. Like, to reject an offer from, I don't know, a, a fashion show or, like, a brand that wanted her to be their image, right? And there was a point where she reached her limit and she collapsed. You know, like, her mental health was really a risk. And she was saying, like, she's a point in her life now where she's going more of an easy mode in the sense of like she's taking care of herself and she was explaining how it's very easy to self-sabotage especially in in the area in which she was and her therapist often tells her like what's your like look at yourself as if you're a goddess what's the ultimate goddess that you could be so when you feel that way just remember that it doesn't matter what other people think or what other people do as long as you're doing everything that you can to become that goddess version of yourself. You know? Yeah. It's like also it helps you like get rid of the unnecessary noise that you have from your environment, even if every once in a while it's gonna come back. Because you're focused on your potential and you have a clear goal of where you wanna go. Yeah, the the other thing, and it's something like similar to what you we were talking about, mm-hmm. that when we were little, we were the kind of people who loved to do things right. There's sometimes there's a very different and a very small difference especially for people like you and me that we don't notice the difference between actual achievement and mm-hmm. people pleasing oh, total. It, it, Totalmente. <laughs> and that's the kind of thing that happens when you become good at something mm-hmm. that's why it says imagine who you could be and then aim single-mindedly mm-hmm. at that it's not just be good because and he says it a lot one of, one of jordan peterson's most famous phrases is Don't be a man, be a monster. Wow. And it's because, yeah, because if you're a, a normal person, if you're just good, if you're just aiming to be good, then you don't threaten anyone. Mm-hmm. And you and I both study international relations. International relations, yeah. there's a theory, call, a theory called realism. I'm just studying that right now. Yeah, yeah, I, I just had a class yesterday about it. I've, I've, I studied it before a little bit, and we're going like deep into mm-hmm. it right now. But basically, realism says that if I have a bigger gun than mm-hmm. you, I can toy around with sí, you. Total. And so the thing is, if you're good and also know how to be like mm-hmm. a monster is a person who's capable of violence. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. So if you're good but you're also capable of violence then you're an integrated human being you're the kind of person who can take hold tipo puedes agarrar tu destino y decir no importa que tú tengas una pistola grande I have a bigger también. one okay no capaz no tengo una más grande que tú pero me voy contigo dale okay. pa inténtalo and then people don't mess with you entonces okay. ese es el puntico en el que being a people pleaser no sirve es como que if you're a people pleaser and somebody points at you with a gun you stand down And you say, well, I'm, well, I'm sorry, sí, etc. If you're not a people pleaser and people, you know, te mm-hmm. vienen con una pistola, tú dices, tengo cuatro. ¿Cómo hacemos? Bueno, tengo cosas que decir al respecto. La primera, siento que, por ejemplo, en el mundo artístico, or when you're, when you're producing something for somebody else, you're giving a service or like, for example, what we do, right? There's a very fine line between people pleasing and doing a good job. Because in the end, 
the response that you get is an indicator of the quality of the work that you're doing. So, so it's very tricky because it depends on the type of content that you make, who are you aiming for. Yeah, but there's a danger of a positive feedback loop. Claro. Y ahí, so, sino que por, for example, for me, it's very hard to like tell the difference between, and for artists in general, y por ejemplo lo que le pasa a Kendall Jenner, I suppose it's like, the, pleasing people is a part of you doing a good job. Entonces, por ejemplo... Okay, like people can be pleased by the job you do, but your job shouldn't be to please people. Exacto. Bueno, tienes toda la razón, pero digo que I think it's particularly tricky in situations like those. Yeah, uh, definitely. Mm -hmm. Pero por eso es, o sea, the rule, wow. We did a big... <laughs> <laughs> the rule, that's why it says aim, like, imagine who you could be first. Sí. So, whenever I imagine this, I imagine myself as like a father, a brother, and then a husband, a son, and then everything else. And then mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, and then an employee or a boss. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, like a member of my community. And then like a, a member, famous podcaster. I'm a famous. I don't I don't think I'm going to be a famous podcaster. Oh, I'm going to be the famous. <laughs> uh, as long as there's space for two people, I accept. Always have space for you, my friend. I'm glad. But yeah, and for example, um, I was talking to my boyfriend the other day because he was talking about his music to me and how that's very... He does music, He right. does music, yeah, he does music. And it's that's something very important for him. You, you remember us, like, we were speaking about what things were, like, our like our little islands in the middle of the chaos of our oceans, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. For him, doing his music, it's that. But he does it on his own, right? And we he was telling me how, during the summer, he met a lot of people from the... Yeah, del medio. How do you say that? Like, that do the same thing that he does? Yeah, that do the same... Th like, they do video from the clips. Exactly, from the industry, right? And somebody told him, like, yeah, you can be you can be doing fine, but you're forgetting that you're doing that for yourself in the first place. And that's what makes you unique. And the moment in which you just stop doing your music for yourself and you start doing it for others, then the whole thing loses a point because first, you're going to stop enjoying it as much as you do now. And second the people who like what you do like it because it's also something that you enjoy. And the moment in which you change that, you also lose the grant that you had. E I thought it was beautiful because he told me, like, I was about to forget that I did it for myself. And if I'd stopped, then it wouldn't make sense anymore. And it has a lot to do with this. You know? no, it, uh, it reminds me of the podcast because we were not going to record this season. We weren't going to post this season on YouTube. Mm -hmm. We were sitting down about to record an episode like we always do. And then was like, this would be cool. Mm -hmm. And that's so us. Just the idea just <laughs> comes out of nowhere. Yeah. The thing is, like, we try to plan planning. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> we don't. But like, while we try to execute the plan, we come up with a different one that ends up being a hundred times better. Yes, but it always. works. It, it, it always ends up being better. <laughs> Pero por lo menos, tipo, by trying to do something else, we figure out what we wanted to do in the first place. Which is great. Yeah. Okay, next rule. Rule number three. Do not hide unwanted things in the fog. I think I need to... Like, I should have read this last year. Yeah, this one's really... This is the most difficult one. I think this is That's the thing right. that most people struggle with. And it's... This is the thing about Peterson. He tells you things you don't want to hear, but yeah. you're like, damn, I needed to hear that. Uh, That's why people don't like him also. It's probably why people don't like him too. It's like he... 
He and puts his shit in your face. I think this chapter would explain most of why he gets so much mm-hmm. criticism. And it's because he does not hide on wanted things in the fog. Like, he has an opinion that might not be popular. Like, he was... Um, the first time he became popular was because of the the C-16 bill in mm-hmm. Canada, which meant that uh, if, you did, if you misgendered someone, mm-hmm. you could go to jail. Okay. And you could receive financial... Uh, uh, punishment. Punishment and penalties. And his point was like, look, I have the utmost respect for people uh, who have different gender, uh, you know, identifications. And if I respect someone, I will, I call them that, like, mm-hmm. whatever they, they, they ask me to. But the government shouldn't. Like, the government shouldn't have the authority to control my tongue. And then it's a, an issue that people just don't really want to talk about because okay. it's uncomfortable. It's, you mm-hmm. know, freedom of speech and the kind of thing that uh, most people in general... Yeah, it's like, very oh. ironic. It's very ironic because yeah. it's like... By trying to make people more free, you're actually making them more... And this is what this rule talks about. Mm-hmm. So what the fog does is that you have had that moment in your life when you're about to say something that you know is a lie and you say it anyway. Mm. That's the fog. Whenever you're like, hmm, maybe I shouldn't be watching my phone while my girlfriend is getting to bed because she probably wants to talk to me. But I'm just going to pretend like I didn't notice her and I'm just going to keep looking at my phone. Or maybe I should start studying today. Mm. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to play the guitar because it's kind of productive, but it's not really what I need mm. to be doing right now. And it makes me feel good enough that I can justify it. See, That's the fog. So I want to procrastinate it. Procrastinating. But it's also like the, the weird part. And it's something that I heard him say the other day is, who do you think that idea comes from? Like, who do you think is talking when you lie? Because you're not talking. You're possessed by the lie. The lie is the thing that is living through you. But then it's you also. No, no. You think it's you. But then you're living the life of the person who would, for example, not work. And you become that person. I mean, you end up becoming that. But you are still in there. Like, there's a part of you, a real big part of you, que no vive eso. Oh, my God. I don't like to hear that. ¿Verdad? Nadie le gusta escuchar esto. Pero es muy real. Entonces, basically what he says is, empieza por no mentir. O sea, no necesariamente... Y no mentirte. Por no, pero en general, o sea, sí. Uh-huh. Es que exactamente, no, me, no decir... O sea, puedes, tú te puedes creer tus propias mentiras. Porque lo que él dice también, una de las, una de las cosas que él más... Que, que, that he makes most emphasis on, es que tienes que tener steps uh-huh. that you're able to climb. Okay. Porque si tú te pones unos pasos que son muy grandes para ti, you're going to fail and you're never going to do it. Uh-huh. You're never going to want to do it again. Uh-huh. Entonces lo que él dice es, ok... Está bien que tú tengas problemas muy grandes de los cuales tú te sientas anestesiado por tus mentiras, uh-huh. ¿ok? Again, es, te estás dando la libertad para seguir viviendo tu vida uh-huh. al costo de que te va a costar más después. O sea, no, claro. it's not... He says that lying is like grabbing the fabric of reality and doing like this. Okay. The name of this podcast comes from that uh-huh. phrase. And he says, you can grab the fabric of reality, you can do like this, but no one gets away with anything. It comes back to you, it's a cycle. It comes back and it bites your ass. Uh-huh. And so what he says is, look, start by not lying to anyone. Like, not saying any lie. Like, if you're about to lie, catch yourself, and you can say a partial truth. You can, you can shut up. You can anything. But try to notice how many times you lie. And after you spend two weeks without lying... Try only saying truthful things. Really true. Like, for example, I, th- I saw this the other day. I think it was Simon Sinek. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, a friend of mine invited me to a play. Mm-hmm. 
to her in her first play, and the play is the worst thing I've ever seen. <laughs> but there's moments to be truthful. You don't mm -hmm. have to be truthful every single mm -hmm. second of every moment of, of life. You have moments where you say truth. And so when she got off stage, I said, oh my God, I loved seeing you on stage. Mm -hmm. I can see how much passion you have. Mm -hmm. I'm so happy for you. He never and lied. All those things are true. Yeah. And then the next day, he called her up and he said, look, do you want to talk about the play? And she says, yes, what did you think about it? And mm -hmm. he said, okay, you're not going to like this. This is what I thought of the play. And he told her, look, I think that you're a great, great actor, but the, the, the play was a stinking pile of crap. And he never, ever in that sense, you know, changed his morals. Claro. It's just also, it's what you're saying. It's the way in which you do it. It's like, it doesn't mean that you have to be brutally honest all the time. It just means that you have really no need to go ahead and yeah twist your morality just to make other people feel less affected by it. Even if in the end it's going to be more hurtful for them. Yeah, and that's it. It's just uh, it's compounding interest. Fair enough. Let's go to rule number four then. Rule you want to say four. something else? Okay, rule number four. Notice that opportunity lurks where responsibility has been abdicated. Oh my God. Venezuela. That's exactly it. This is always what I think. Bueno, I'm going to say you something go before. Ahead, go ahead, go it's ahead. It's like something that we were always taught when we were little is that where there is a crisis, there's always big opportunities because usually people are prepared for the, for the normal routine of an economy or a household or whatever you have. But the moment in which normal becomes the exception and the crisis and the misunderstanding becomes the rule. Venezuela. <laughs> exacto. There will be things that have to be done. And the one who does them first gets the reward that gets the biggest reward, you know? Sí, hay una historia de un señor que empezó a comprar todas las baterías Duncan que venían a Caracas, como cinco años antes de que se acabaran las baterías, mm -hmm. y tenía unos galpones llenos de baterías Duncan, y el día que se acabaron las baterías Duncan, el, la única persona mm -hmm. que tenía baterías Duncan era este señor, y tenía un monopolio, and he got very rich by just selling them back to Duncan mm -hmm. for three, four times the price so that people could get batteries. Sí. So, it's like, But this happens everywhere. Like, mm -hmm. where do you see this happening? Where you're like, ah, I see that there's responsibility that has been abdicated or, like, left. Mm -hmm. Do you know anywhere? So, for example, I don't know if you can really say about responsibility being abdicated, but if you have, let's say you have a war, right, in Ukraine, and you, your business was absolutely linked to something that has been altered by the value chain or the the problems with transportation that you have now, yeah, yeah. right? So let's say that's an abdication of responsibility because it's been blocked by external forces that do not belong to you. But you have two alternatives. It's either you complain about your impossibility to perform your tasks or you see that now people have other necessities and you can conquer that opportunity over there and maybe even be more successful than you were before. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is also typical of jobs. Like... He points this out, especially for becoming the person people want hired. Mm -hmm. If you're a boss, it will probably not be the best thing for the people you work f with, meaning the people that are, the, are at the same level as you or a bit higher than you won't like that you do this. Well, not necessarily, but it, it's a risk. Mm -hmm. And it's something like if you know that your boss 
isn't doing the midterm analysis of the company and you do it and you send it mm -hmm. to your boss, your boss will know that you do it. And that is a responsibility mm -hmm. that was advocated by somebody else and it's an opportunity for you to get mm -hmm. a raise. Or if your boss hates the crap out of you and then you realize that, you know, he has this big issue that you somehow have the answer for or that you can find the answer for and mm -hmm. you give it to them, they will probably like you a lot more. And it's just a, mm -hmm. a nice, interesting fact. When you see things that aren't working, try to see if there's any abdicated responsibility that you can take over. Okay, let's go to rule number five now. I don't know if we're going to be able to do all the rules. I think we should do six. Okay, I like that. And then we do it part two, and then we do the rest of the other six. Okay, I love that. So, do not do what you hate. Do not do what you hate. You know, I actually, mm -hmm. my little sister had made the same observation as Adi the other day. She went into my room and she was like, oh, what do those posters mean? Mm -hmm. And I sat down and I told her, look, this is the fool. This is this. Mm -hmm. This is that. This is a picture of an angel. You can show it. I don't think you can see it, but. Yeah, it's a picture of an angel basically like in the throes of doing exactly what he wants to do. Mm -hmm. So what this is trying to say is something like. It's something that's obvious if you think about it. But not like, but we've been taught the opposite our entire lives. Yeah, absolutely. Like we've been taught that you have to do things that you hate because mm -hmm. they're necessary for life. And it's like, yes. Until what extent? Exactly. And it's something like, for example, if you're ever asked to lie in your job, you don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. Like you don't, if you have a job or uh, something that like sucks the soul out of you and makes you feel like you're going to die if you keep being there. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do it. You have the responsibility to find a way out of it. Mm -hmm. And that's it. it. It's it's not as easy as just dropping your responsibilities. It's turning them into things that you like. I think it's sometimes it's also easier to do what you hate than to actually take the responsibility to change it for it not to be like that. One of the things he says is like, okay, you hate your job. And then, yeah, you hate your job. But then you hate opening your resume and seeing how you haven't had the best uh, internships mm -hmm. and how you haven't done the most things outside mm -hmm. of your work that you could have. And so instead of doing things that will make your resume better, you decide like, oh, you stay at your job, you stay at your job or you, you apply for like two or three jobs and you say like, oh, well, I didn't even try really hard. So it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, you're staying in that pit of nothingness. Mm -hmm. It's awful. So it's not only is it don't do what you hate is have the, spirit to get the hell out of there mm -hmm. and it also has to do with what we said before it's like sometimes it's more comfortable to just follow the rules you know it's like you ha you save yourself the trouble of being against where everybody goes and against having to convince at least someone to go with you because otherwise you're going to be a fool you're going to be crazy and you're going to be the people who others would not support which in the end it's not a comfortable position yeah. you know and it goes perfectly with the next rule which is abandon ideology. So, um, ideology is a... Uh, do you want to define ideology? Go ahead. You read the book. I think maybe <laughs> he has a specific explanation of it. Ideology is any set of beliefs that gives you an automatic answer for everything. So, if you are a Marxist and you see a millionaire, what is he? He's a bureaucrat who An stole your money yeah. yeah who's stealing your money and making society bad and you yeah. see a worker in the street and he is fellow human you know a comrade you know exactly uh, he's your you, mate what, what about if you see a, a marxist in a capitalist society he's crazy he's a fool he's going against your money exactly 
So ideologies, what they do is that they're useful. They have their utility. Mm-hmm. I mean, thinking in a Marxist way or thinking in a, in a capitalist way or mm-hmm. thinking in a realist way give you the framework. Their tools. Yeah, they yeah. give you a framework to analyze the world. Pero la realidad es que no son la, las reglas con las que te deberías mm-hmm. regir por tu vida. ¿Y qué pasa? Again, it's the same thing about being the fool. It's something like you need to be able... Cuando yo fui a estudiar en la universidad, mm-hmm. yo quería estudiar en una universidad privada. Mm-hmm. Mi papá me agarró y me dijo, no. <risa> <risa> yo estudié en un colegio privado toda mi vida, cuando estaba en bachillerato, en el colegio Jefferson. Y eh, I loved my school. But my school had a lot of center and right-wing values. Mm-hmm. Because we were children of people that were very hardworking. Mm-hmm. And who, even though they are very uh, progressive, they were very, you know, you have to get a job, you have to take responsibility for things in your life, etc. And so I grew up with that. And one of the things my dad told me is, you're going to work in diplomacy, which means that you're going to have to deal with people who don't think what you think. Very wise. Very wise. <laughs> And I ended up at La Universidad Autónoma de Madrid. Mm-hmm. I love my university, but I study at the Faculty of Philosophy and Letters which is the most left-leaning place mm-hmm. in my university. And it so happens that the students and my friends at university are people who are very much left-leaning in a cultural way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that they have decided that the left is better than the right. They have decided through their life experiences that the people in their country who are left-leaning have their interests more at heart than the people on the right. Okay. And that's not... I can't decide for them if that's okay or not. But it has been, like, for example, I had a class where they gave me a documentary about Chavez and mm. the left wing in Latin America, mm-hmm. basically telling me how, the documentary basically explaining how the left was an amazing movement that did so many good things for the world. And I come, I left Venezuela because of... The leftist movement that does amazing things for the world. Exactly. And so one of the things that happened was, like, Jordan Norway says, like, if you have a story and the antagonist is weak, the story is not good. Like, if if you're a prince, you want your dragon to be the biggest dragon Mm -hmm. it can be so that the story is the most important story possible. So what tends to happen is that in Venezuela, we're taught that... that Our dragon is the biggest dragon. No, no, we're taught that that they're stupid. We're we're taught that left-leaning people are stupid. And that they have no ingenious, and that they got there as a stroke of luck. But at the main, you're also taught that, like, if there's something you have to fight in your life, it's left wing. Exactly. Like, we're taught to be not, we're not taught to be right wing. We're taught to be anti left. Yeah. And the thing is, one of the things that happened to me while watching the documentary was, like, I knew that half of the stuff he was saying was bullshit. Mm-hmm. There was that one thing. There was that one thing which, like, fair enough. I'll give you that. Like, fair enough, I'll give you that. But not only that, it shook everything mm-hmm. that anybody had ever told me about the right and left wing in, in Venezuela. I had read it before in this great book, which is right here, called Del Del Buen Re- Salvaje Buen Revolucionario de Carlos Rangel. And it talks a lot about this, uh, these pre-existing ideas that we have. And it's like, you don't get it. It's mm-hmm. just both of you have something that's correct mm-hmm. and you have to 
understand that that's the point about ideology. Yeah. If you follow one ideology, you will be missing half the truth. It's the same excuse Todo cuando bien. las elecciones en Estados Unidos que le decían a los trompistas que eran todos unos fascistas que querían destruir Estados Unidos. Mm -hmm. You're telling half of your country that they're trying to destroy your country. Mm -hmm. That's kind of paradoxical mm -hmm. and it, it, it's not good for anyone there. Claro. So the, the tricky thing about ideology is that, for example, ideology is aligned with your values, right? And values, until a certain extent, make up who you are, right? You, your values can be responsibility, hard work, empathy, you know? And you are going to be leaned towards a specific ideology, especially because probably those values come from your family and your family also comes from that same ideology, right? And talking about what we said before of like having your ultimate goddess and thinking about who you want to be and working towards that, usually th that person who you want to be is aligned with the values that you have. So oftentimes your ideology is a framework that guides you towards that person who you want to become. But I think also what we're trying to say is that not in every one of the cases your ideology will eye open or will give you the perspective that you need in order to seize your opportunities to the maximum capacity. And I think for both of us, it's been the same, like coming to a completely different country and facing people who are not like the people who we used to face in Caracas, which also belong to a very specific bubble and, you know, specific, very closed stereotype of, you know, yeah, people. Sí, son gente que tiene su propia burbuja de estereotipo tal Exacto. So you come into into a city, into a university, into a class where people from so many different places, so many different ideologies and ways of seeing life. It teaches you that one, you're never going to get in life as far as you want if you do not take into account how other people think. So that you could you could forget that people think different than you and be very stubborn about the way you think. But you're never going to be as successful as if you have the will to understand how other people think and how that can be a leverage for you in the future. Like Peterson says a lot, and I've said this before, no one survives a good conversation and nobody survives a good book either. Mm -hmm. O sea, el hecho de que tú... El hecho de que yo haya visto ese video, ese documental, haya cambiado la manera que yo pienso para positivo. O sea, haya hecho que haya afilado el cuchillo de mi crítica mm -hmm hacia lo que pasó en Venezuela y cómo funciona la, politi mm -hmm. la política en general significa que hubo una parte de mí que estaba aferrada a esa idea de la izquierda que tuvo que morir y eso también tiene que ver con que it's more comfortable to think like that so it's more comfortable for us and it's way easier to just say left is wrong it's a harder task to take the time to listen and to understand okay what does being leftist mean and I'm not saying it's it's better or it's worse it's just like My dad always says the thing of, you don't have to try to convince other people to think like you. You have to convince yourself that you have to try to understand others. Yeah, where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. Bueno, una de las cosas también que creo que podemos cerrar con esto es que personality plays a big role in your political ideology. This mm -hmm. book, uh, Snoop, talks a lot about this and how uh, an AI could reliably tell if you were from a, a Democrat or a Republican mm -hmm. by looking at the things in your room like 80% of the time because they talk about your inclinations. If you're a conscientious person, and if you're older mm -hmm. than, uh, let's say, 35, I don't know the exact age, then you're more likely to be a, a, a Republican. Mm -hmm. But if you are uh, high in agreeableness and high in neuroticism, then you tend to be Democrat. a Democrat because you are more 
uh, alert to, for example, a conscientious person who's also a little bit disagreeable will see a person who is asking for money in the street and walk by and be like, get you a job, you, you know, exactly. get a job and like find something to do with your life. And the more neurotic, like the more uh, neuroticism means sensible to negative mm -hmm. emotion. So the more neurotic person and the more agreeable person will probably walk by and be like, what do you need? Can mm -hmm. I help you? You know, it's just different voice of seeing like and, and experiencing like it's mm -hmm. worse it's it's a different way of experiencing the world it's just Total. so weird and but that in the end like that's that's where the the beauty of it realize it's like if, if we're all the same there's very cliche but it would not be as fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah what would be the fun of having a partner that just had the same things as you like mm -hmm. there is in in his personality thing mm -hmm. the 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 test he has this option to mix it with your couple mm -hmm. so that you can see where you guys are super compatible and when you're not okay and we'll talk in the future about compatibility, compatibility. but um one of the things he says is like there's a point where if you're two separate personally there's a thing that you're always going to fight about okay and it's going to be always more or less in the same category and mm -hmm. you can kind of predict it like if you're really really committed to that relationship you can find a way to like parse that through but mm -hmm. in general People, human beings are 60 to 70% the same or alike. Mm -hmm. There's enough ground. Como para que te gusten las cosas. I don't know. See, sí. so it's, it's what you say. It's like, if your partner was the same as you, what would you even talk about? It doesn't, where's the fun in just having a conversation where we both agree? For example, the other day, like I was talking to my boyfriend and we, we found some questions on Anna. And one of the questions was, if you could write a book about something, what would it be? And he told me he would write a book about everything that's wrong in the world. Like, he's like, he, he basically told me everything that people do not want to see, I want to write a book about that. And I was like, yeah, but what's the purpose of your book? Like, why would you write a book like that? And he's like, yeah, because I want people to see the bad. And I kept asking him the question because in the end, what I, what, what I, was, I think where he was trying to get, and we talked about it later, it's like, You want people to have perspective. It's not about just... Because it, at the beginning, I just felt like if you just wanted to plant a seed of sadness and disappointment and lose hope. But in the end, it's not about that. It's about gaining perspective because perspective gives you a more critical, acute sense. Like he, he planted targets. Exactly. For you to like shoot at. Uh-huh. And it, was, it wasn't really like that. What he was trying to tell me is like, He wanted people to understand that not everything is as pretty as it looks, but we can shift our perspective and our actions in order to make, you know, yeah, the way in which we behave more like really shift us to where we want to go. Not pretend the bad things are not there, but acknowledge they're there and knowing they're there, what can you do about it? You know? Okay. I find that interesting. I did something else too with Marie, but mm -hmm. I want to try something with you. Like what book would you write? I told him I would write a book about, um anxiety and how my how i experience it because i would like to read that book you know it's like i would write i would like to read a book of someone who's similar to me in a certain extent that would make me feel understood and then he told me why would you write a book for yourself you know why would you only ask yourself if you like and i was like yeah if i don't like it then why I would don't... you write a book for everyone anyone else <laughs> yes. like you could look at the opposite why would you whatever yeah, yeah. Else? it was a very interesting conversation like it was very deep i would write a book about the relationship between politics 
both international mm. and you know low politics and personality i think that would be a very interesting book to write mm -hmm. and then i have this question for you like m i did a similar thing with marie the other day and i asked her if you could change anything in the world what would it be like if you can make it into like a utopian world where that didn't happen what would you change okay what would you change let me think i need something to think. Yeah, no, you you go Come i on. go i don't because there's a story behind mine there's a story behind yours yeah if i think about it like lightly i would say i would take away evil in the sense of like people who just do mean things for mean reasons a, a cousin of my dad he he lived in latin america and he went to a party and when he was coming back from the party he his uh, his drink got like pinched spiked spiked and by the time he got home like there was someone home they called an ambulance and he spent two days in therapy and he died the day after oh my god i'm so sorry it's yeah thank you but the point is that was just mean you know yeah if and if i could take something away from the world it would definitely be that like senseless evil yeah okay this is my explanation and mm -hmm. you're probably after that example you're probably not gonna like it but i'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, <laughs> no, gonna, I'm, I'm not gonna betray myself <laughs> i'm gonna stick to my guns and i'm gonna say that any way that you change the world will inevitably change it for good and evil in your perspective in your person so Value. the world will have the flaws that you have mm -hmm. so if you decide to rid all world uh, all of the world of unnecessary evil mm -hmm. then let's put it this way to just go in a train of thought you would create a world that is so easy to live in that you create lazy people that then do evil things evil unnecessary things out of boredom you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that was my point. My girlfriend said that she would take away the sexual... Um, um, assault, the violence. Sexual, the sexual desire for assault mm -hmm. and, and violence. And I told her, yeah, but that would take... Like, what, would, what, what do you think, like, practically would happen in a world like that? Like, mm -hmm. if you look at it, it becomes, like, in its extreme. And when you apply it to a whole world, it becomes extreme. Mm -hmm. It becomes pathological. Yeah. And I said, I don't think that there's... That I have the right to think that there's anything about the world that I could change without making it worse. It's a, it's like when you ask you if there's something about your past that you regret, like what would you change? And it's you say nothing because it made me who I am today. Exactly. Yeah. It's the same principle. Very interesting. It was a very good one. This was, uh, let's call it book club, I guess. Book club part one, Jordan Peterson's Beyond Order. First six rules for life. <laughs> Later, the next six <laughs> rules for life. We hope you enjoyed, and you have to remember that. No one gets away with anything. Remember to listen to us on YouTube, Spotify. Uh, Substack. Substack, and then Apple Podcasts and wherever you get this from. See you next Monday. See you next Monday. Bye. <laughs>